You are Locked On Jets, your daily New York Jets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is the Locked On Jets podcast for Wednesday, January 27th, 2021. I'm your host, John B. from gangreennation.com. And today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to builtbar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get 20% off your next order. Today we have our weekly mailbag show. Thanks to everybody who sent in questions. We begin with a question from Jim who asks, Of the Jets' last nine head coaches, seven of them had their most wins or tied for their most wins in their opening season. The only exceptions were Parcells and Rex, who had their most wins in their second year with the Jets. What does this tell us? Well, it tells you that the first season is not something you should read too much into. When the Jets are hiring a head coach, or a general manager for that matter, of course you would rather see success in the first season than failure. But you're not hiring people for one year you're hiring them to build a consistent winner. And the Jets have had a lot of false starts with head coaches. Remember how big Eric Mangini was after the 2006 season? He had the guest appearance on The Sopranos. He, I think he was on Sesame Street. They called him the Manginius because he took a team that was expected to be the worst in the NFL and got them to the playoffs. Now, it was against a really bad schedule. And then the team regressed the next year. And then his third year, he got fired after they started 8-3 and three with Brett Favre and collapsed down the stretch. Rex, we remember, as Jim mentioned, did have his best year his second year. But after a very successful first two years, was not able to sustain that. You could look at Herm Edwards, who made the playoffs his first two years. His last year was really ugly. You could go on. I mean, you could go on and on. Todd Bowles goes 10-6 and six his first year, even though they missed the playoffs. Still, they went from four wins the year before Bowles to 10 wins his first year, not able to sustain it. Adam Gase, even Adam Gase went 7-9 and nine his first year, which wasn't very good, but it was still better than 2-14. and 14. And even though he only went 7-9 and nine that first year, in some ways I, I kind of felt like that was a continuation of his Miami tenure because it wasn't like... He was fired in Miami, then took some time to get away and reassess. It was kind of it, because he was hired immediately. He it was I kind of viewed it as year four of him as a head coach. Would have been different if he had taken a year off or gone and been a coordinator and had some time to get away from his failures. So even though you know that first Gase year was not that successful, I'm not even sure I count that as like a year one for an Adam Gase like I would some of these other coaches. But ultimately, your job is to build a long term winner. You see this all the time in the NFL. A team has a big year, and they aren't able to sustain it and maybe the coach gets a little too much credit. And the Jets are not the only team with this phenomenon. I mean, you could think back to Ben McAdoo with the Giants. They made the playoffs in McAdoo's first season. Anybody think Ben McAdoo's a good head coach? Or the guy who I just talked about, Gase, who in his first year in Miami made the playoffs. And I have a theory on this, and it's that if you are hired as a head coach in the NFL, odds are you've been thinking about it for a long time. You kind of have always had this plan formulated for what you're going to do and for pretty for most coaches 
if you're able to ascend to a top job in this league, you're probably smart enough to come up, come up with a decent plan to begin with. So you get in there and you're able to have success year one. Then after year one, the league kind of goes to school on you. They do some homework. They adjust to you. Maybe year two, you run into a rough patch. And to me, that's kind of one of the things that like separates the guys who can coach in the league from the guys who can't. Everybody has a plan. You know, it's easy to go in there, have your plan, and have success immediately. But then after the league figures things out, and after you're, you hit some adversity, can you adjust your plan? You know, you have years to formulate the original plan, but you kind of have to adjust to tough spots on the fly. And a lot of coaches cannot do that. And as much as anything, Jim, it shows you we should not read too much into Robert Sala's first year. And that's true whether the Jets are good or whether they're bad. And another thing I'm going to mention, and this is something I've mentioned before, Sala was part of a coaching staff in San Francisco that inherited a situation that was not that dissimilar to the one facing the Jets right now, where they not only have to rebuild a team that they're not where they're not starting with a lot of talent, but they have to repair a culture. And that takes time. And it took time in San Francisco. Their first two years were not that good. In fact, if you look at what 49ers fans were saying in year two of the Kyle Shanahan era, there were a lot of calls for Robert Sala, who was the defensive coordinator, to be fired. And it's tough in the NFL because it's not a league where you see a lot of patience right now. Everybody wants immediate results. And to be fair, results can come quicker. It's easier to turn around a team in the NFL than it is in other sports. I've talked about these dynamics a lot in the past because you don't have contracts that are fully guaranteed like you have in other sports. And your draft picks can contribute quickly. In baseball, you draft a player could be five six years before that player ends up in the major leagues so even though you get a high pick in baseball when you lose that's not going to help you immediately that's only going to help you way down the road or in other sports like basketball basketball you have a bad contract you're pretty much stuck with it unless you can find another team to take it off your hands and frequently you have to give up an asset to do that in football because the contracts are not all that are not guaranteed entirely yeah, you're going to have some dead money if you cut a bad contract, but that tends to disappear in one year, two years top. So it's easier to turn things around quickly in football than it is in other sports, but it's still not going to happen in one year. The Jets are not going to be a Super Bowl team next year. Probably. No, listen, I'd be happy to be wrong about that, but realistically, this is a Jets team that it's going to take some time. Now, should the Jets be 2-14 and 14 next year? Absolutely not. Should the Jets win many more games? Absolutely. But there's still it still is going to take some time to get from two and fourteen to the Super Bowl. And the coaches you mentioned, Jim, should be a reminder that year one is not the end all. Having a great year one does not mean you're going to sustain that success. And having a year one where things are get a little rough, that's not necessarily a sign that things are doomed. Sal is a first time head coach. He's learning. He's gonna be learning on the job. He's gonna make mistakes. It's one of those things where I think sometimes we forget head coaches can be rookies too. 
you know, whenever a player has a bad rookie season, we say, well, he's a rookie. We tend not to give head coaches that kind of leeway. But being a head coach is very different from being a coordinator. And if you aren't hiring an experienced guy on that job, I think you kind of are buying into the idea that he's going to make mistakes. You should you should realize that the coach is going to make errors. There are going to be moments where he looks very bad. So I think this is going to be a job where patience is going to be required. And the one thing I will ask of everybody, the Jets will have losing streaks next year. There will be mistakes from Salah. I ask all of us, if Salah does a bad job, that's fine to point out. If Salah deserves criticism, that's fine. Just don't go back and say, Oh, he's as bad as Adam Gase. I heard that for decades. Oh, this coach is as bad as Rich Kotite. And it wasn't true. It was never true until we had Adam Gase. Sal is not going to be as bad as Gase. But there are going to be some struggles next year, probably, at some point. Love to see the Jets have a good year. Even if the Jets go 10-6 and six next year, there are going to be some points. They're going to hit some rough patches. They'll probably have a losing streak where people will be upset with him. It's really about the long term, and that can be difficult to remember. And at the time, any of the coaches Jim mentioned were in their first year. People thought they were on their way to greatness, and it did not work out for any of them. It's always important. It's really tough to do as an NFL fan. Always important to keep the big picture in mind. It's not just about 2021. It's about what happens in the future as well. You're one of a kind, and so are your taxes. That's why TurboTax Live has experienced tax experts who are ready to listen to you, learn about your unique tax situation, and help you get the best tax outcome. Maybe you're moonlighting as a rideshare driver and have questions about what qualifies as a deduction. Maybe you want an expert to walk you through the process, since most of your income last year came from freelance jobs. Or maybe you'd like to hand the whole tax filing process off to an expert while you perfect your banana bread recipe. Whether you want to file with the help of an expert or let an expert do the filing for you, TurboTax Live tax experts are here to help, giving you the confidence to know that your one-of-a-kind, uniquely you taxes are done right. Intuit TurboTax Live. When it comes to getting into or staying in shape, nothing feels as good as that feeling of accomplishment, of hitting your fitness goals and feeling great about yourself. Echelon can get you there. Echelon offers the next generation of connected fitness bikes, fitness mirrors, rowing machines, and their Echelon Stride Smart Treadmill. No matter your favorite fitness activity, Echelon gives you a fun and challenging workout from the comfort of your home. Their world-class instructors will motivate you with thousands of daily, live, and on-demand studio-level classes, always available when you need them. And unlike their competitors, Echelon is affordable for everyone, and one membership lets up to five family members work out at the same time. Right now, you can try any Echelon fitness equipment at home for 30 days. Go to echelonfit.com slash locked on. That's E-C-H-E-L-O-N-F-I-T dot com slash locked on. This is the Locked On Jets podcast on a Mailbag Wednesday. Our next question comes from my friend Ben, who I hope is doing well, asking me my thoughts about Matthew Stafford. In fact, Ben is not the only one to ask about Stafford. A listener named Timothy also sent in a question asking about the idea of the Jets potentially trading for Stafford. And there are plenty of rumors about Matthew Stafford potentially moving to a new team, and few of them involve the Jets. And to be honest with you, I would be interested in Matthew Stafford. I think he's a top 10 quarterback. Now, a guy who's at the bottom of the top 10, but still an excellent quarterback. And he's not that old. He's only 32. Now, he's about to turn 33, but for a quarterback, that's not that old. 
Now, he's not going to be around for, you know, 10 to 15 years the way maybe uh, Justin Fields or Zach Wilson or even a Deshaun Watson would be, but he could be around for like five to six years. And that's a long time in the NFL. I mean, five years ago, Todd Bowles and Mike McCagnan were just finishing their first season. You have, I think there's a tendency to think like five years is a short amount of time. It's a very long time in the NFL. And he would probably cost in a trade a fraction of what Deshaun Watson would cost. And yes, Watson is a better player, but if we're talking about value, it's quite possible that Stafford could be a better value. Now, would Stafford want to go to a rebuilding team like the Jets? Well, that's an open question, but if the Jets have become an attractive team to Deshaun Watson, then I'm sure you could sell Matthew Stafford on the idea of coming to New York and I think he's he's been a very good quarterback for a long time. I know the Lions have not won a lot with him, but that's not his fault. They've never been able to figure out the defense in Detroit. Stafford has not been the problem there. So I would be interested in him. Now, I, I think that there's a lot of resistance to this idea in the fan base because you want a guy who either has a lot of star power like Deshaun Watson or you want to draft your own quarterback, you know, a guy who could come up as a Jet so I don't, you know, I don't think this would be a popular move in the in the fan base because the, I think fans want somebody who they think is going to be here for those for like that ten to fifteen year stretch that I mentioned, or a guy who's already a star. You know, Stafford's not as big of a name, and although five years is a long time, I think the perception is he'd be a short term fix. But I don't think he'd be. I don't think this is like a Brett Favre situation where you're just getting a guy for one year. I think Stafford could be a medium term solution. You know. He, I would not be opposed to it. I'm not saying this would be my move, but I don't agree with the resistance. I don't agree with the degree of resistance Jets fans have to it because I think he's the kind of guy who could buy you some time at the quarterback position. You could look for his long-term successor. If you find somebody who was really who you really liked in the draft, you could pick him, but you would have you would not feel pressured to take a quarterback in the years ahead. You could wait for the perfect guy and then you could let that guy develop at his own pace and eventually move on from Stafford. And I think that puts you, it would put you in position this year to trade down. And I know you'd probably give up picks for Stafford, but you'd probably more than make them up from the trade down from some team that wants either Fields or Wilson. So I would have no objection to it. From the sounds of things, it doesn't sound like it's going to happen. I know Jets fans would not love it. I would have no problem with it, though. Our next question, what concerns do you have, if any, of Salah's coaching staff? You know, the one thing that kind of sticks in my mind is just general lack of experience in key spots. And I'm not sure that's necessarily the worst thing in the world. I'm not sure it's something that necessarily dooms the Jets. But I would have thought he would have brought in a former head coach for a prominent job. And instead, he's gone very young. And look, Kyle Shanahan took a similar approach in San Francisco. Salah was one of the people he brought in, and it, it's worked pretty well. So not saying it can't work. I'm just surprised he did not. I was kind of hoping he would. Now, he did bring in a guy who's very experienced on the offensive side of the ball, Greg Knapp. In fact, when they hired Greg Knapp, the second biggest surprise for me was that Greg Knapp was still coaching because he's a guy who I think of as being around for a guy who's been around forever. The biggest surprise is that Greg Knapp isn't even that old. He's been around a really long time, but he's not he's only 57 which is not that old for a coach so there is some experience I, i'm i don't know if it's a huge concern but i would have thought that salad would have gone with somebody with a little bit 
more experience somewhere on his coaching staff in a prominent job like a coordinator position. Next question is about the special teams coach Brant Boyer, who the Jets just announced the other day will be returning for his third head coach as the Jets special teams coordinator. Can you walk us through the positives of Brant Boyer? His track record ranges from mediocre to terrible outside of one good year. Is he viewed as an inspiring coach who just lacked talent? Westhoff turned about a dozen guys into great return men through great schemes. Boyer's scheme seems to be fair catch a punt and run straight on a kick return. I think Boyer might be, I think you could argue Boyer's, Boyer's a little overrated. Now, he's had two really good special teams years, 2018 and 2019. Now, 2018, I think you could argue, was kind of the product of a couple guys having a career year, Jason Myers and Andre Roberts. But 2019, they were very good. You know, the coverage units were really solid, especially the punt coverage unit. But I think it's fair to say that, you know, his rec- track record has been inconsistent. I think there's a perception that he's a great coach. I don't know how much of a difference he makes. It's always tough to judge the special teams coaches because they have, they have so many different units that go on the field. You have your punt coverage unit, your kickoff coverage unit, kickoff return unit, kickoff punt return unit. You have your place kicking unit. Uh, it, there's some, and you know, you're talking about you, every. You're talking about roles with as big of a variety as technique for kickers and punters to downfield coverage there's a lot to judge and all of these units only play a few snaps a game so it's really tough to judge these guys i'm not convinced he makes that big of a difference to be honest with you negative or positive and that's just my view in general on most coaches i think most coaches are just kind of products of their players i think there are a handful of coaches at the very top who make a positive difference a handful of coaches at the very bottom who make a negative difference and the rest of the coaches are just kind of there and sometimes they're good sometimes they're bad i think there's a perception that sometimes these position coaches and these coordinators make a bigger difference than they really do. If, and I think that the way people view coaches in general is they look at the unit they were in charge of the year before. If that unit was good, the perception is they're a good coach. And if the unit was bad, there's a perception there's they're a bad coach. And that's the only, the only data point that matters. There's a lot more that goes into it. I'm not sure how good or bad Boyer is, to be honest with you. I don't really have a big issue with him returning but I'm not sure how much of a positive difference it really makes. Next question. Salah brought in Mike LaFleur with him to be offensive coordinator, but my understanding is that is technically a lateral transfer and San Francisco could have blocked him from leaving if he was still under contract. Can you talk a little bit about how new head coaches normally build up their staffs when they want coaches that are on other teams? When a coach gets promoted to head coach, does the team usually wish him well and not block other assistants who want to go as well? Or is such poaching often acrimonious? Well, it depends on the team. And before we get into any of that, so the NFL just changed its rule within the last year. It used to be a rule that any assistant job, moving from any assistant job to any other assistant job was a lateral move. And the original team could block it. They've changed that rule. Now you can move from a non-coordinator position to a coordinator position. So my understanding is that under the old rules, Mike LaFleur move to be Jets offensive coordinator would have been a lateral move, but under the new rules, it's actually considered a step up, so the Jets did not need to get permission. It depends on the coaches and the personalities involved, um, and you know sometimes coaches will block assistance from moving to other teams, even for a or they would for for a even for a coordinator position. There were a couple instances with Rex Ryan where the uh, Jets coach was 
considered for a coordinator position, and the Jets blocked him. My understanding is Kyle Shanahan always wants his coaches to have an opportunity if they have a chance to get a better job that he'll always let them go. And it's kind of a philosophical thing. You know, is there a right or a wrong answer? You know, if you if you have a guy under contract, you know, you're probably within your you, you are within your right your rights to prevent him from going somewhere else. You know, the coaching profession is not one where there's a lot of job security. So if you're willing to give a guy a multi-year contract, part of the you could argue part of the deal is okay, we're committing to you in a profession where there's not a lot of job security. You need to commit to us. On the other side of that is the way the 49ers have handled this with Kyle Shanahan, where he's said he's never going to prevent a coach who has a better opportunity from going elsewhere. My personal view on this is that the Kyle Shanahan approach is probably the better one over the long ter- over the long run, you know, when you think about the big picture. Because if you block a guy from going somewhere else, yeah, you get to keep him. But I think... You said a good. You said just a better example when you let guys go pursue their dreams. You let guys go find better jobs, because it makes you a more attractive venue. It makes you a more attractive destination when you're trying to fill out your coaching staff. Coaches go there and they say, "Okay, well, I know, I know if I go here, I'm going to get an opportunity. If I have an opportunity, they're not going to block me. So this is the place I want to be because I know these people are looking out for me." To paraphrase something, Robert. It's, kind of a paraphrase of something Robert Salas said when he was talking about his players is that part of his job is to help players succeed so that they can go get paid even if it's not with the Jets same same concept with coaches even if you move on to a better job here it's our job it, we're trying to help you grow as a coach even if even if that growth happens somewhere else so I think in general it's a better way to go um, but it depends on it depends on the personalities of the coaches involved you know I, I don't think that there's going to be a lot of bad blood between Salah and Kyle Shanahan there are instances where there is a lot of bad blood. Now, it's not in the NFL, but on the college level, there's been a rumor about Nick Saban, how he's been upset when some of his assistants have gone to other schools and taken a lot of Alabama assistants with them because Saban said, you know, I built this program and I didn't get any help. Why are you now Now you're trying to build your own program and you're pretty much just stealing from me? So it, it, dep- it very much depends on the personalities and the interpersonal dynamics between the coaches. I don't think that there's any way that's set in stone. We've got some big football action coming up a week from Sunday. It will be Super Bowl 55 between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Kansas City Chiefs, and there's only one place that has you covered, betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account on betonline.ag and use promo code LOCKEDON for a 50% welcome bonus. The Chiefs will be going for a repeat. Tom Brady will be going for his seventh Super Bowl win. You don't need to sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action, and don't forget to use that promo code. It's locked on. It's one word with no space, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Built Bar is the best-tasting protein bar ever, and the new Built Bar is even more delicious. There are now six new flavors, caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp to go with the 12 originals. The bars are covered in 100% chocolate, and they're soft and easy to chew. Bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, and high-fiber. And if you go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON, you'll get 20% off your next order. Again, that's promo code LOCKEDON. It's one word with no space. L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N for 20% off your next order at BuiltBar. B-U-I-L-T-B-A-R. Dot com. 
This is the Locked On Jets podcast here on this Mailbag Wednesday. Our next question, if the salary cap is lowered or kept flat, do you think that there will be more one-year deals signed by free agents and hope for a better contract market the, final, the following year? I think that there probably will be more, but my guess is that it's not going to be an overwhelming number. I still think most free agents this year are going to be looking for a multi-year deal because you have to remember the nature of this game. This is a league where things change quickly in a year, and every player is potentially one play away from having their career altered. That's just the way things are in the NFL, unfortunately, due to injuries. So you always try and get as big of a payday whenever you have the opportunity. There certainly will be some players that may try and wait a year and see how things go in 2022 when teams may have a little bit more money to spend. But if you have a chance to get a big payday this offseason, even if it's a little bit less than the one that could await you next year, I think most of the I think most guys are going to take it because you have to take what's available to you now. It may not be available to you in the future. Next question, who lasts longer as a tandem, Dave Gettleman and Joe Judge or Joe Douglas and Robert Sala? I'd go Joe Douglas and Robert Sala. I think that they're still at the beginning. You'd have to assume that if things don't improve for the Giants, there's going to be a change at least with the general manager. It's tough for me to envision Dave Gettleman lasting much longer unless the Giants get a lot better, and I'm not sure that he's done the job that's going to make the Giants a lot better in the near future, whereas I think Joe Douglas and Robert Sala are going to have a lot more patience. Of course, that could change, but that's my read on things right now. Our next question, hearing rumors that Adam Gase is being considered for the Seattle offensive coordinator job. I'm hoping this happens because, one, he can help the Jets draft position next year because the Jets own Seattle's first-round pick, and two, he would be reunited with Jamal Adams. If he gets it, how happy would that make you? I think that would be one of the funniest things I've ever heard. I would be laughing pretty hard. I think it would be amazing. And you know something? Seattle can blame themselves for that one. Because as Brian Bassett said a few few weeks ago when he was on this podcast, the Jets taught the rest of the NFL a lesson about hiring Adam Gase. And it'll be fun to watch him run on second and long and not have it hurt the Jets. It'll be fun to, to watch a team that you know you really don't care about or to the extent you care about them, you hope they lose. You know, Gase is much more enjoyable to watch when it's another team he's destroying. So... I'll, I'll enjoy it. I'll, I'll, I'll enjoy it quite a bit. And hey, what a great job for Adam Gase because he'll inherit another franchise quarterback who will succeed in spite of him and he'll be able to take credit for that. That's what Adam Gase does. So win-win. Anyway, that's all for our show today. Thank you for listening. This has been the Locked On Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. As always, if you enjoy our show, subscribe to it and leave it a good review. Have a great Wednesday, everybody. We'll be back tomorrow to talk more Jets.